0: It's time for the Ball Quest Podcast, where we dissect the
1: biggest news items of the week. Welcome into the Tuesday Ball Quest Podcast. I'm Eric Kane, along with all surprise Rob Lewis and Brent Hubbs. And of course, it's always brought to you by Smoky Mountain Organics. If you're suffering from those spring allergies, like so many of us are, then check out Smoky Mountain Organics, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store, focusing on natural products and organic remedies. They got three locations in East Tennessee, and one right here in Knoxville at 8018 Kingston Pike. It is across the street from Traders Joe's. Be sure to follow us, like, subscribe, and dial into us the YouTube page, Valk West there. You'll find out all of our videos and our podcasts when we post them immediately before it even hits the general quarter. So uh, check us out there. Guys, a lot to talk about. The SEC Media Days wrapped up last week. You've got fall camp starting next week. Media Days on Sunday, a big recruiting event coming up on Saturday, but We'll kick it off here at the top Tennessee received its notice of allegations from the NCAA that was late Friday afternoon and uh, it's been all the talk Brent Hubbs uh, all weekend long kind of heading into this new week
2: yeah and I think for Tennessee you never say it's good um, I mean you never want a notice of allegations in any way shape or form but uh, I don't think Tennessee will contest any of the 18 uh, level 1 violations. And uh, we'll see what the NCAA's punishment or further punishment handed down to them is. But uh, I think there's two things that jumped out. One, no lack of institutional control. I didn't expect that there would be. So that wasn't a shock to me. Uh, But there was nothing there about lack of institutional control. There was one one level one on a failure to monitor. I guess Tennessee might be able to challenge if they wanted to, but I don't think they will. Uh, And then the other thing is... um, that, that there was a page and a half in the 52 page document praising Tennessee for the way they went about the investigation. And, uh, I'll admit there were at times as this thing drug along, Rob, I thought it would be wise to tell the NCAA to kick rocks. I mean, will Wade, um, was going about his business. Bill self was going about his business at Kansas. And, uh, you know, you kind of wondered what in the world are, you, you know, you, you're being so thorough with when the NCAA seems to be toothless, but. Um, I, I think when you read the notice of allegations, it's going to pay off for Tennessee that they've gone about it the way that they have. It appears like it is going to anyway.
3: I, I agree, however. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more, but I, I know a lot of fans for, you know, grumb, doing, grumbling about exactly what you're saying, you know, tell the NCAA to, to kick rocks, and I, I think Dondi Plowman, to me, she's the one that's coming out of this looking, you know, like, like her image has really been burnished and, and, and shining, because I'm I mean, I, I know, Robert, AP, you guys heard some of the same things. I know there were some people in the administration, not just on the athletic side, who were okay with the notion of of paying Jeremy Pruitt something, not $12 million, but, you know, just something to, you know, help sweep it under the rug. And and from everything I've heard, she was adamant from day one that that was, that was not something she was remotely interested in doing. She was going to con- conduct the internal investigation her way. Um you know, shine a spotlight on, on everything, you know, that she could no matter what cockroaches emerged. And, you know, I, I think we're, we're not all the way to the finish line yet, but I I think at this point in time, it it looks like her strategy is really going to pay off.
0: Well, Rob, I think the biggest reason that, you know, and I think you guys will agree with this. I think the biggest reason everybody like Brent was saying to say kick rocks is because how many times have people tried to do the right thing? Hey, we screwed up. Hey, there was this, and there was, instead of going, hey, thanks for, you know, that's like my kids saying when they get old enough, hey, dad, I had a beer at 15. And instead of going, I appreciate you being honest with me. And you have a small punishment.
1: you going, death.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, like. No it's like, more
1: Disney trips. You
0: know, I mean, like, so many times people have tried to do the right thing and the NCAA is not showed them any favor for doing the right thing. So, you know, the people that have told them to kick rocks have a lot of times proven to be the the benefactors of doing so. So I think, you know, for, you know, a lot of the logic out there, and that's what Brent's talking about, that's why they were doing it, not because, you know, they were trying to turn turn their nose up at it. It's because trying to do the right thing has not been good for anybody in the past. But all of a sudden, you know, it does look like, you know, and maybe because they are so toothless, they needed to go – hey, this is how you do it. Good job, Tennessee, you know, and hope that more people will work with them in the future for things like this. But, I mean, you know, what outside of some little things, I I thought the biggest thing, and not to get deviated, the biggest thing to me out of the whole thing was all of the visits. And and I think this is where it got the last stab in trouble. The visits during the dead period for COVID. Like, you know, I I just think that, you know, that's probably where it looks the worst to me than it does paying some – Paying this or that is nothing. I mean, people have been doing that forever. But, I mean, it's like it was a dead period, and, you know, people came in and,
1: you know. And, I mean, here's the thing, too, to that point, Austin, almost $60,000 of cash or gifts provided to players and family or, or, or uh, you know, recruits and all that. I mean, that number laughs in comparison to what name, image, likeness is right now, okay? Yep. That's not the whole thing. But, I mean, when, you know, when it's on paper, it's like, oh, 60 grand. That's nothing. I, I would agree more it's – It's the I mean, it was a year and a half of a dead period and, you know, arranging for hotel stays and food and entertainments and and team gear and all that, that type of stuff. That's where this kind of gotten in trouble. At the end of the day, it's 18 level one violations. As I mentioned, only six, almost sixty thousand dollars worth of cash or gifts provided. It was a 51 page of documents. The two biggest things and Brenda, you said this, um, you said this on the on the GQ on Friday. The NCAA credits Tennessee immensely for cooperating. I'm mean, going to spend a page and a half, like you mentioned, and it is not for a lack of uh, institutional control. And when you couple all that Austin with what Tennessee's already been doing things that you've said, I mean, you said it on the, on, on the radio Monday morning, that the common fam might not even recognize the measures has already taken. You know, that's really going to help Tennessee in this whole thing. And I, I truly believe it was expected, the notice of allegations. They thought they were going to get it earlier, but this is one more phase into kind of wrapping this thing up that, in the end, you've already done the major things, you know, when it's all said and done for the Pruitt era.
0: Yeah. Again, maybe a few things going forward that they're going to self impose to to help, you know, put the pillow underneath them. But most of this stuff's already behind you. Like you you already done you already, you know, sacrificed twelve scholarships last year. And that was easy to do so. I mean, you were you were down to what sixty nine? I mean, like it was easy easy to 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 do twelve a year ago brand and it not, you know, because I mean you're never gonna be able to bring in during that time anyway, it, just like it's easy to, you know, reduce certain scholarship or, or, or uh, recruiting limitations that like the common fan does not see the common fans not going to see if Tennessee has unofficial visitors at a game or, or or whatever, like it just you just don't you don't you're just Unless you're just really a diehard, you're never going to notice that stuff.
2: Well, and nobody uses all their official visits. So you can negate some of that if you want to. Yep. I, I mean, there's there's lots of, of things out there. I, I, think what's, I think what's interesting about this story is it almost felt like, Rob, at, at one point there was two different kind of two different messages. Um, it was described as a speed bump, a bump in a road, a small bump by – by Danny white and Josh Heupel after they kind of got settled in a little bit, but you go back to that press conference that Don D. plowman had with Randy Boyd, where, uh, we learned that they had hired a search firm for an athletic director before Philip Fulmer's resignation was submitted and kind of all those things that had sort of taken place there. And, and, and she painted, and I think this is why some people were, were, were a bit critical of her too, Rob. She painted a picture that was far greater than a speed bump. Now, I think you're right in that the way she's managed. This has helped make it a speed bump, but nobody walking out of that press conference that day felt like this had any kind of speed bump notion to it at all, or at least I didn't.
3: Well, I didn't either. However, what was the quote? Dozens of major infractions. Was that, is that what she said?
2: Yeah. And and then she talked about the great links they went to, to cover it up. Now they ended up, I mean, if you look at the letter of allegations, there's 200 individual violations. Okay. Now there's 18 level one, but, but there's like 200 violations. I'm not saying she was not telling the truth, but most people don't paint that picture in front of everybody when they have a press conference. I
3: I mean, I think, I think she mentioned dozens of major violations and I can't remember she, and she referenced how many people were involved in the cover up. you know, multiple, multiple people, staffers, you know, support staff and, and Hubbard, I agree with you that it didn't feel like a speed bump, but, Man, and I don't know if this, this was her intent or not, but she made Pruitt and that regime look so bad, so guilty, so just, you know, not, not caring about doing the right thing. And then she fired them all. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just like, this was horrible. It was brutal. And look, in way I fired everybody.
1: And I mean, yep. at the end of the day, you're, if you wanted him gone, you're saving ten uh, around ten million dollars, because of course you know fire with cause you know minus all the legal fees and everything, you're saving about ten million dollars going through this whole process. Now, if that's what the that's what they wanted to do, you got to wait for the pros and cons and everything. But you know Pruitt's out and everything. You bring in Josh Heupel, and if Pruitt wasn't the guy, then then you saved about ten million dollars going through this whole national headache. But then again, you're taking some lumps as well. But you're you're right, Rob. I, I think that she she beat up on that staff so much and then fired them all. And it, uh, and then ultimately it all comes out here in the notice of allegations.
2: Well, she, I mean, you know, they obviously didn't pay Jeremy Pruitt. They're not paying Shelton Felton, they didn't pay Derek Ansley. Ansley. Who was a big, big chunk, right? Right. Right. I mean, that was a S that was over a million dollars. And we all kind of wondered that made a little odd sense that he didn't wait around to get fired when the whole staff was getting fired. He got out of town. He got out of town because he wasn't going to get any money because he he was involved you know as we saw in a a level one violation uh so you know between the ansley money and and shelton felton and jeremy pruitt and brian niedermeyer it was probably closer to to 12 million dollars or so that that they saved and um you know the reality is uh, jeremy didn't have anybody on campus going to fight to to save him There, there wasn't anybody at that point that was going you know what This is a minor speed bump. There's a few things they did wrong. We can get corrective course of action here. Um, You know, instead, I think everybody was quickly on board with going a different direction. That's what Tennessee did. And the good news for them, as we put a bow tie on this, is that it appears that they're close to having it behind them. We'll see how long the NCAA waits to respond after Tennessee responds. Tennessee's got until October uh, to respond to the notice of allegations, or they can ask for an earlier hearing which they can certainly do if they're not going to challenge any of those uh, 18 level one violations to try to get it done as quick as they can. And I know that's their goal. They want to get it behind them as quick as they can.
0: I mean, what's, what's really just, you know, just stands out to me in this whole deal is the fact that if you had said in April of last year, Tennessee is going to go seven and six, be able to self-impose so many scholarships, on the front end of what was really kind of just a throwaway year, right? I mean, no one expected Tennessee to go to a bowl game last year. They were left for dead. They had little to nothing on the roster, so to speak, or at least as far as proven players. Um, you know, and, and to be sitting here, a, you know, a year and three or four months later and have it pretty much all behind you and not having, you know, been taken out to the woodshed. I mean, I get it. I mean, it's – that kind of press is never good, but like and, – and, and some of these national guys, I mean, Pat Forty, Bruce Feldman, some of those guys, and I'm not going to get on my soapbox about them, but I mean, like, they're sitting there on Twitter about, you know, oh, oh, terrible, oh. Terrible for what? I mean, Tennessee yeah. basically is getting a small slap on the wrist in this deal at the end of the day. Like, they're not getting the death penalty. They're not – I mean, like, they're not even really going to feel any of this stuff because, I mean, the stuff that they've done – is already behind them for the most part, and you didn't feel it
1: then. Last thing I'll say on this, and we can kind of move on, though, and, and I'm not trying to pump the the big orange train here, but I got to think the way Don DePlante handled this and the way that, I mean, Athletics Director Danny White coming in, not even being here, taking the job, knowing all that, the way that they've kind of, sure, it could have been a different direction, Brent, if they just would have said, you know what, we're not going to worry about it because Kansas isn't worried about it and all these other teams aren't worried about it. But they went this route, and then ultimately it seems like it's not going to be that big of a deal because of the sets they've taken. It looks like they did a really good job. They they, they did a really good job over the last year and a half.
2: Well, I mean, they, I mean, they paid a law firm $2 million. You hope that yeah. they did it the right way. I mean, you know, they're still under retainer, still paying them a bunch of money. And I'm not saying it wasn't money well spent. Yeah. Uh, it, it, but if that's the direction you're going to go, Rob, and, and you're going to say, hey, we're going to be completely thorough here. We're going to be completely transparent with the NCAA. We're going to go about this business this way and be extremely cooperative. You better be cooperative enough that the NCAA says, hey, we don't need to look into anything any further we're, we're good. You you've, you've done all the work for us. Here's, here's the, here's the violations we found. Let me see your punishment and let's get this thing behind us. And I think that was Tennessee's goal from the get go. I think that was Don D. plowman's goal from the get go. We talk about Kansas. Kansas just got pulled off the recruiting trail in basketball. Bill Self's not been on the road recruiting because of something from two and a half, three years ago because of the direction they go. Did that pay off for them? I, I don't know. They cut down the nets this past year. They won an it title, so yes, it paid off. It definitely you know?
3: did. I but mean, I mean, I go back to what AP said, However, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, I and I don't know. I'm I'm just guessing. I, I think Dondi Plowman and eventually Danny White, once he was hired in place. Took a look at the way the wind is blowing as far as the NCAA, and, I, and I'm with AP. I, I think that the NCAA's response is kind of like, hey, we're, we're about to not have any say in this thing whatsoever, you know, once these super conferences emerge. And thanks for doing our work for us. And, you know, here, this is, we agree with what you're, you're going to self impose. And, thank, you know, thanks for cleaning house.
2: Yeah. And the thing too, is it was because nobody on campus was really interested in Jeremy Pruitt staying around, that was an easy move to make. It wasn't like that was a hall of fame coach who who had done some things that they were going to, that, that people really wanted to fight to keep. So part of that change, you had a complete new regime come in and was coming in. So let's get the table completely clean. Let's not let Josh Heupel have to deal with this in 2025 or 2026. Let's get it behind us in completeness immediately. I think that made that, that decision easier as well. But again, I give Dante Plowman credit because she had a plan. She stuck to her plan. She stuck to the guns in her plan. And, and, and this is where it's at. Does Jeremy Pruitt counter with anything from a, from a lawyer in a legal suit or anything. I don't know that there's anything there that he can, but we'll see what happens. That's. You know, I guess that potentially is out there, and we'll see what the NCAA says in a final resolution.
1: That October I mean, uh, hard
2: deadline They got rid of everybody, however. I mean,
0: you know, they, they, I, I'm told they even got rid of the guy that delivers Cokes to the football office.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, again, Tennessee has 90 days to respond, and the NCAA will have 60 days to respond to that response. So uh, moving on, discussing what came of SEC football media days. Uh, Tennessee, of course, went on Thursday. It was Hendon Hooker, Trayvon Flowers, Cedric Tillman, and, of course, Josh Heupel. The media vote came out early uh, Friday morning. Uh, Tennessee picked to mm-hmm. finish finished third in the East behind, of course, Georgia and Kentucky. And, guys, Alabama once again predicted to uh, win the league. Any surprises? Maybe Tennessee finishing third in the East or the the prediction of finishing third in the East? Anything else from the way that uh, the, the media voted? For for
0: uh, Yeah, besides a couple of the, the- – the people that, you know, foolishly. Vanderbilt, South
1: South Carolina Carolina, got a vote, yeah. yeah. Um,
0: The fact that South Carolina got three votes to win the league and then still was picked fifth in the East, I mean, (laughs) what's that say about it? I mean, you were picked to win the league three times and still picked fifth by everybody else. Um, That was surprising. I mean, because, I mean, as Hudson had talked about, like they were a bit of a media darling down there, and all of a sudden they weren't that much of a media darling to have Florida picked ahead of them. Yeah. Um, and I think it's good for Tennessee not to be picked second. Again, I think Tennessee is always better as the underdog as an athletic program. By three yeah.
1: votes, Kentucky was was finishing second above Tennessee. Nine hundred thirty-two votes. Tennessee had nine hundred and twenty-nine or points, I guess. So it was it was really close.
3: And, and I at this point in time, since I do all those research for, the, for those preview articles, I probably think I know more than I actually know. In, in, in July, it's meaningless, but I just don't see it with Kentucky. I mean, you have to really, really, really love Will Levis if you think Kentucky is the second best team in the East and the third or fourth best team in the conference. And you're talking about a guy, I may be one. I know he threw 13 interceptions and I want to say 24 or either 24 or 27 touchdown passes, lost his top two wideouts. They lost, I want to say, three starters up front on your offensive line. They lost a lot on defense. I mean, I, I just don't see it. I'll, I will be. On July twenty sixth, here I'm going to, I'll be stunned if Tennessee doesn't beat Kentucky.
0: Well, I I, th- Shocked. I think that that second week game between uh, Florida and Kentucky is gonna be fascinating. Yeah. Because Florida opens with Utah, that'll be a tough game for them to win. Let's say they lose that one. They cannot afford to start 0-2, or that's a really uh gonna to be tough to climb out of for them to just, you know, getting bowl eligible, so on and so forth. And then, you know, Kentucky can really not afford to to lose games to teams like Florida, if they're going to take the step that they all think they're taking up there.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the, you know, we don't know where, where Chris Rodriguez's status is. I I think he's going to be back on this team. Okay. And I I think he's going to carry the ball for Kentucky, but Rob, I I think you, I think you make a good point. I I don't think anybody's really talking about the loss of, um, the the little receiver Robbins, Robbins. Robbins. Yeah. Who was, who was terrific against Tennessee a year ago. I mean, just terrific and had a great year. Um, they don't win a bowl game without him. They don't beat Iowa if it's not for a couple of plays that he makes. So I think that's a real key loss for them. So I think the question becomes uh, how much help does Will Levis have around him? We'll see. Um, and, and, you know, they've lost some stuff up front. I think Mark Stoops done a really good job up there. Um, but I don't, I, don't, I don't know that they're the second best team in East. I think it's Kentucky. I mean, excuse me, I think it's Georgia. And then I don't think we know. Because for Tennessee to be the second-best team in the East, looking at their schedule, Tim Banks' unit has to take a major step on that side of the ball if they're going to get to that point. Now, because here's the thing, when you you factor in who finishes second, third, fourth, whatever, you also got to look at who all they're playing, right? And not everybody's got Alabama and a road trip to LSU on their schedule. That works against Tennessee. So for Tennessee to get there – I think the biggest thing is how big of a step is this defense going to be able to take in year two under Tim Banks?
1: And, and the conversation all week long um, at SEC media days down there in Atlanta from Monday until Thursday was uh, t- two of the big question marks were, who's the third best team in the Southeastern conference, Alabama, Georgia, Georgia, Alabama, then who? Um, Tennessee's name was mentioned up there a lot of the time. So it was Kentucky, A&M, Arkansas, Florida even got some love. So that was a general conversation. And then, who the second best quarterback in the SEC is? Hendon Hooker, much like Tennessee was mission up there. Will Levis, of course. You got KJ Jefferson. You've got uh, a, a, you know, a couple other ones that that, that are really good. Spencer so Rattler, Spencer yeah. Rattler was up there as well. So it it didn't shock me that Kentucky was picked to finish second above Tennessee. I voted Tennessee second in the East for whatever it's worth, um, because I just think Tennessee's got a little bit more right now. Um, You move on. Tennessee has eight players voted to the all-SEC preseason team. The only first-team selection, a little bit surprising in my opinion, Byron Young. I could have seen him on the first or the second team, but the big, not to bury the lead here, Cedric Tillman put on the second team. It was Keyshawn Boutte, who you knew would be up there with the first-team wide receiver of LSU. It was Jermaine Burton, formerly of Georgia, now at Alabama, over Cedric Tillman for that for that second slot a wide receiver on the first team.
0: I'm not surprised. The league's really deep at receiver. Um, so I didn't yeah, think Cedric cool. Tillman would be first team, you know. Um, I, I, I'm who, who was it?
3: The kid at LSU, it was Deshaun yeah.
1: Butte and Jeremy Burton or Jermaine Burton Jermaine on the first Burton, team, The guy who transferred from Georgia. Yeah, and then there's, Tillman. there's, gonna be, there, there,
0: there's gonna be multiple guys at Bama that could be first team at the end. What's Cedric Tillman looking like at the end of the year, though? Like, but, if, he, if, he, if he's able to do what he did against Georgia and Bama and replicate that, even to some regard, that'll be really impressive because he turned up the heat last year, uh, that last half of the year. I mean, he was borderline unguardable. And, And what do the guys across from him or surrounding him look like, because I think that'll determine a lot for him as, f- as far as success this fall. And
2: mean, by the way, what, I mean, what are we doing only picking two receivers on the first team? Has anybody looked at how college football offenses are played now? Yeah, I mean, are we going two tights? I mean, what, I mean, come on, let's put a, let's get that fixed. Cause everybody's playing with three receivers receiver receivers always going to be one of your deepest positions in your league every year. But uh, I, I'm with you, AP. I mean, w- once Tennessee, uh, you know, started featuring Cedric Tillman. Once he asked to be featured, uh, so to speak that changed things. I I think the X factor with Cedric Tillman's production is Valus Jones, because when they moved Valus to the slot, it seemed to open up, Rob, everything for this team, Valus's numbers went dramatically up and obviously Cedric Tillman suddenly started getting open. Who's going to be that guy in the middle? That that can take the safety and and give Cedric Tillman some of that one on one coverage where they can't roll somebody over the top. Is that is that Hyatt? You hope that it is, but but they have to. I think the slot position in this offense is really vital to the passing game success. I may be wrong. I'm no football expert, but but it feels like you got to have a really productive slot receiver because that allows everybody on the outside to kind of do their thing.
3: Yeah, I mean, and we don't know. I I think that's one of the most fascinating questions you know, going into fall camp. And I and I think you make a great point, Hubbard, about how much Velas's emergence kind of unlocked Cedric. And also at the same time, I don't think you can discount, you know, Hinden Hooker getting in there and getting comfortable and, you know, develop, developing some chemistry once he was a starter. But yeah, unless, you know, if I don't I don't want to say it's the easiest thing to do, but defending a, a really good wide receiver becomes a lot easier when you don't have to worry about somebody on the other side or in the slot, really stressing you down the middle of the field.
1: As AP fails to hit the ignore on his phone there and his vibration continue to move on. It's Hendon Hooker's on the second team. Uh, You know, again, not a surprise uh, conversation. There's a number of guys that could have went in there. KJ Jefferson, Will Rogers, Will Levis, uh, Hendon Hooker was voted the second team. We mentioned Tillman. Darnell Wright, uh, second team nod at, at the offensive line. A couple of third teamers as well. Cooper Mays at center. You had Byron, or excuse me, you had uh, Jeremy Banks a linebacker, and Trayvon Flowers um, voted to the third team. I think it's silly to vote anytime you have a third team, especially in preseason. I think it's very, very silly, but it is what it is. A Paxton <laughs> Brooks as well. Anybody left off? Any surprises? Anything here from the rest of the balls named to these teams?
0: I, if if Paxton Brooks is the third best punter in this league, then you know I'd like to find two better consistently what he what he means to the team
2: everything you know i I've, uh, we're gonna run our special teams preview coming up later this week i was really surprised he was like fourth in the league and in, in in punting average which was kind of crazy to me but there can't be anybody in the league that gave up fewer return yards than they gave up so um and he did that all of last year with, with an injury you know you know with a hamstring so Um, I think he's one of the elite punters for sure. Um, you know, I don't get caught up in the preseason teams because the the same people that voted that preseason team also voted for South Carolina to win the league. They voted for Vanderbilt to win the league. Um, and I'm not knocking those guys. There's just a lot of people that I I don't think take a lot of time. I don't think a lot of people take a lot of time to do that. You know, they just kind of rattle off the names that they know. I mean, I, I, I don't feel comfortable doing one. I think Rob would be better versed in doing one because he's done the opponent's previews where I haven't done all the research on all those guys to know who all's coming back and, and really dive into it. Here's
3: a great example. And, and this kid, I, I mean, I would bet will turn out to be a really good football player, but Kool-Aid McKinstry, the, the defensive back at Alabama, he was a five-star recruit two years ago. He made nine tackles as a freshman and and he's a third team All SEC pick, and, and Trayvon
1: the, Flowers is a third team SEC pick because he was at media days and people knew his name. So I, mean, uh, I, th- I
3: think there are a lot of examples. Once you get past the second team, I think you can find a lot of guys like that.
1: I do yeah. want to ask you guys this though, and this is kind of relevant to the to, to the teams that are here. But Jeremy Banks, 128 tackles last year. We all know his shortcomings and everything like that. But I mean, he improved. He's a real good player last year. Where would you rank him? And I know linebacker's kind of confusing because you you kind of have a Leo spot. You kind of have a stand-up edge like Will Anderson Jr., who's the best football player in the country, in my opinion, can do a little bit of everything. But you got Anderson Jr., Nolan Smith, you got Henry T, of course. You got Bumper Poole, Brenton Cox Jr., Dallas Turner, Jeremy Banks, Ventrell Miller, and Owen Popo. You know, we Jeremy Banks voted to the 13 preseason team, but you know where does he kind of rank? I mean, he's just kind of been a tackle machine, and I feel like if he continues to learn and and play that linebacker spot better, not running underneath blocks, staying on his keys, he can have even more than 128 tackles if he stays healthy.
2: Well, I think he's got a lot of production. I think the biggest question is is what you're talking about, and that's the the versatility. I mean, he he feels like just an in the box downhill linebacker. Yeah, and, and I think some of these other guys, you know, can can handle some guys in coverage, and and they can they can do some different things with him. I think that that's when you talk about the defense, we talk about a lot of their shortcomings, right? We talk about can't get off the field on third down, third long situations were bad, couldn't get the quarterback without blitzing. You know, some of these shortcomings that they did. I think Tim Banks did a really nice job in a short period of time, okay? You go into spring practice, you got no idea what you really have. You assess it, you create a scheme for it, and you go play with it. And what he did was he was trying to put all of his guys in the best position to be to be mo- their most productive. And I think he did a really good job with that with Jeremy Banks. I don't think he asked Jeremy to do a ton of things outside of go tackle the football. And I think that's where Jeremy Banks is at his best. I think his tackle volume is always going to be high. I, I think some people, in terms of his future in football, are going to question his size, and then they're going to question how flexible can he be at the linebacker position? You know, what, what all can he do? Because... You know, it's not a it's not a traditional downhill in the box type game anymore. Uh, But Tim Banks did a good job of creating that scenario for Banks so he could go do go do his thing and be very productive.
3: This is I mean, this is inside baseball dorky stat, but it's one I just kind of stumbled across when I was doing all the previews. Tennessee finished fifth in the SEC in yards per play last year, like about five and a half per play, but they finished 12th in total defense which I don't know, That takes Charlotte home. They're, they're not generating a lot of negative plays. They're not generating or even one and two yards. I mean, teams are getting about four and five yards a play every time they, they line up, you know, second and six, third and two, third and three, third and one. Tennessee, and, and it goes with what you're saying, Hubbard. I mean, I think he, he simplified things, and they weren't really exotic, and they didn't press the issue a lot and, you know, put teams in a lot of, you know, second and 12, third and nine. And, I mean, that, that that's a really kind of weird stat to be – Fifth in yards per play, yet twelfth in, in total yardage surrendered. You're just not putting guys on their heels very
1: well. Long. What's yeah. amazing to me, Rob, is I mean, Tennessee had over 100 TFLs last year, but but in that same sense, gave up a lot of explosive plays. Third and long was horrendous, as we all know. So uh, it, it's just baffling to me how you can be so one-sided in one stat, and on the other end, and the other. So that you got to find some common ground there, kind of moving in. And uh, Brent, you know, fall camp starts next week, and this kind of goes in the same the same tune. Any any major storylines to be on the lookout for as we begin fall camp with media day coming up on Sunday.
2: Well, I'm going to, I'm going to throw an audible here cause this is, I know that was your topic and I think it's a good topic. and we talk a little bit about it? I know we're getting short on time. Uh, th- one of the things that came out of media day that did not generate a whole lot of buzz was this proposal by the division one council to say, they're going to wipe away the word one time on the transfer portal, meaning you can transfer every year and be immediately eligible. I talked to some people on Monday, I kind of thought Austin, you and I talked about it driving up the road, like no way that's going to pass. Right. There's a real belief in in talking to people, not just at Tennessee, but some people around the league. There's a real belief that that's going to pass, which is going to throw. Utter chaos into college football more than we have right now. It's the story. One of these storylines of SEC media days, that's not being talked about because I think most people assumed it wouldn't pass. But Austin, can you ma- imagine a world of roster management where you have unrestricted free agency every year and there's no salary cap for NIL?
0: Yeah, it's dumb. They're they at the end of the day they're eating their own, and the the you know the progressives out there can go, well, this is what it should have been all along. You know, it was you know they weren't allowed to move around and and blah, blah, blah. yeah, okay, back in the old days. Now that literally you've got cherry picking of rosters with NIL money, that's not the same. I mean, if kids would have bounced around five, six years ago, eight, 10 years ago, it would have been, there would have been some bouncing around. There's a lot of kids that just struggle with decisions. They struggle with everyday life. They struggle with, you know, little things get them down and they just want to like hit the tap out button and move somewhere else and restart. I mean, it's, you know, it's just like how Eric Kane used to play video games. If it didn't go the way he wanted, he'd just hit reset and start over. If he, if he lost that game of Madden or NCAA back in the day, the show. he wasn't using that against his dynasty mode, Rob. He was hitting reset. Yeah, but and
3: a, 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 I, I'm not going to say it in the same mumbly, nibbly mouth voice that, that you did, but I think this is the way it should have been all along. I'm, I'm, I'm a I'm a total advocate for the kids. If they well, I'm an been... advocate for the
0: kids, too. But I think what, you, what you're doing here is you're
1: eating your own sport.
3: I don't like, that, I, I just, I, if you want to go to a different school, go to a different school. Yeah, but
1: with the opportunities with name, image, likeness now, I mean, it's the wild, and wild it, west right now. Know,
3: that's,
0: that's where my issue is with it. It's uh, not about like, again, back in the old days, kids may have, have bounced around some. Sure. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But, you know, now, I mean, like, think about this. Hendon Hooker, decent player at Virginia Tech, comes here, has a baller year, right? Then all of a sudden you've got school X. that's like, hey, come here. All of a sudden, he's Virginia Tech to Tennessee to Georgia or Miami or good, wherever. Good, I mean, good for like,
3: him. Good
2: for him. I I just think I think for the game, I, I think for, for for to grow like the that. game and, and to go to the war, I think you got to have some rules. Yep. I, I think I think I mean I think part of what's make what's made the and look college football and the NFL are always going to be two separate things. They shouldn't be the same thing. But one of the reasons why the NFL is so successful is they got rules in place. You know, and and I just think that the idea that a kid can play three different schools in three years, I mean, you can Florida Marlin it is what you're going to end up being able to do, okay? You're going to say, hey, we'll tank, okay? We're not going to spend any NIL money, and then we're going to go out and get – twenty instead of a signing class, we'll get 22 based on NIL for one year. You know, I I think the one-and-dones hurt college basketball, right? Because you don't have – the branding and the marketing of it. I mean, who's more beloved, you know, the the Grant Williams or Kennedy Chandler, okay? Well, it's because Grant Williams played here more times. And I know that's not what it's about. It should be for the kids. I just, I mean, I, I guess I guess what you're saying is, Rob, good on Jordan Addison for, for taking a money grab and going to SC and taking another money grab to Texas next year if you want Lumber, to. I,
3: I agree with you. It's better for the schools and better for the sport. If there are rules, like you're saying, it's better for the kids. If there aren't, they're not employees.
2: I mean, see, if- I think, I think they're going to be, I think, I think there's a lot of going to be a lot of kids out there who are going to think they're all going to go get a bunch of money. And, and at some point, much like, much like the NBA said, you know what? We're tired of seeing a 17 year old high school kid declare who didn't get drafted and is no longer heard from. I think that's where you got to be careful in the in the college game. Is, is a kid going for a money grab that there's no money grab there?
3: I don't disagree with that. I just the only thing that I disagree with is I I just if a nineteen year old's unhappy, I don't think he should be forced to stay at but, school. But here's the thing that what just he's he not, plays football. he's not think, forced to stay. He's got oh, a wait.
2: one year transfer. He can go yeah. wherever he wants
0: to. Jo- one Jordan time. Addison wasn't unhappy. Jordan Addison took the cash grab. Like there's a difference between being unhappy because. You know, your girlfriend broke up with you. you struggling with the teachers you have. You don't like your position, Coach. But if you like everything about P- Pittsburgh, but, hey, I can make extra money here and then the next year go somewhere else and make extra money there, like, I just got a more of an issue with that. That's just me. Like, I got no issue with kids bouncing and
2: going to a new school. No issue at all. I think the one-time um, transfer rules is a rule that's needed in the game. Got no problem with it. I think it's a slippery, dangerous slope. To go into a I can transfer every year I want to transfer. If,
0: if if the if and I understand some people understand this, but not everyone does. But if the people that listen to this podcast really knew all that went into managing some of the 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 thought processes of 18, 19 and 20 year olds at times, like they literally like guys are are going to the portal every five minutes. Now they don't always make it there. I mean, like they have to be talked off ledges because they, they don't think about things big picture. So, like, kids now are just going to just be bouncing left and right for no good reason at all, and Hubs is right. A bunch of them are going to find out they don't have the money there that they wish they did, and it's going to be a real issue long term.
1: I'll say this, too. You talk about roster management. People can say people are overpaid and coaches are overpaid, but my goodness, how much work you're going to have to do to keep your team – intact every
2: single year we see it in basketball you're you're not going to keep it intact i mean that's that's the first thing you have to do and again i'm rob i'm i mean again if a guy's unhappy you know then uh, you know i think he's got the one time i'm just not in favor of you can bounce every year but as a coach you have to understand you're turning over every year there's not a there's not a let's look two years ahead in recruiting you better be looking 10 months ahead for your next team and don't fall in love with players if you're a fan and, and
3: again, I'm devil's advocate, you're making $5 million a year. If you don't like it, just go, go coach
2: high school. Well, I think a lot of them will try to go to the NFL. Yeah. Uh, That's where I go if I were things, an assistant coach.
1: A lot of things you don't have to deal with up there than you do in college football. We can certainly do a podcast on this subject for 30 minutes, but we are running out of time right now. No better time to subscribe to the VolQuest YouTube channel than right now. Camp starts next week. Huge recruiting event on Saturday. Uh, We got podcasts up, interviews, recruits going left and right, prospects, commits, all that type of stuff. Sign up, subscribe, follow us on YouTube. You know when we know as soon as it's posted up there. Big thanks to Smoky Mountain Organics, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store, three locations right here in East Tennessee, one in Knoxville at 8018 Kingston Pike, across the street from the Traders' Joes. You can always shop online. At SmokyMountainOrganics.com, a lot coming to the front page of Ballquest.com and on the general quarters as always. So stay tuned there for Austin awesome price. Rob Lewis, Brent Hubs, I'm Eric Kane. Thanks so much for listening to the Ballquest podcast right here at Ballquest.com.
0: You've been listening to the Ballquest podcast every week here on Ballquest.